in. Has anyone ever told you to buckle in? Maybe you were inside of a car, but if someone tells you to buckle in and you're not in a car, they're not talking about your seatbelt, they're telling you to get prepared to do something that's very difficult or challenging. When I took biology in college, at the beginning of the semester, my professor told me to buckle in and I had to study so much for that class, it was so difficult. So he was telling me to prepare for a difficult semester of a course. When someone keeps just talking and talking and talking and you want them to get to the point, the main point that you need to know, you might want to say, cut to the chase. Now this idiom means get to the main point, stop rambling. But you gotta be careful with this idiom because it can be a little bit blunt and rude, especially if someone you know cares a lot about what they're talking about, but you just want them to get to the point. You just have to say, cut to the chase now. When you want to say that someone has thought of all the details of something and they haven't forgotten anything, you can say that they thought of the whole nine yards. Now this is a very strange phrase because in the United States we usually use measurements of 10, but I guess in this phrase we're saying the whole nine yards and pretty much all native speakers would know what you're talking about when you use this phrase. People in the United States go all out planning weddings sometimes. So they think of where they want to have the wedding, what it will look like, what food they'll serve the guests, what desserts they'll be, the whole nine yards. This just means they think of all the details. Speaking of weddings, they can really cost an arm and a leg. Now this is a very old classic idiom, but it's still very common to use today. If you say that something costs an arm and a leg, it means it's very, very expensive. A wedding can cost an arm and a leg. Now I'm an English teacher, but if you ask me, do British people say this phrase a lot? I will tell you, you are barking up the wrong tree. This phrase, to bark up the wrong tree, it means that you're pursuing the wrong thing. You have made a mistake in thinking that I would know what British people commonly say, but I've never been to the UK. I've only met a handful of British people in real life. In the United States, of course, I've seen many online, but I would not know what they say, so you're just barking up the wrong tree. So when you make a mistake, when you inquire with the wrong person about something, you might be barking up the wrong tree. And of course, I think this idiom comes from the idea that dogs love to chase squirrels up trees and if they're looking at the wrong tree and the squirrel's not there, they're, they're barking up the wrong tree. They're trying the wrong thing. The most common idiom to say that someone is sick in English is to say that they are feeling under the weather. Or you can simply just say, Kayla is under the weather today. That means that she's sick. And yes, I'm talking about myself in third person here. There are of course other idioms to say that someone is sick, but this is the main one that I want you to remember. And it's a very kind way to say that someone's sick without giving too many details. And typically, we only use this phrase if someone is just going to be sick for one or two days. They just have a small flu or a small cold. Now, if someone is very sick, maybe they have cancer or another disease, you would not use this idiom under the weather. You would just say, you know, they have a disease or they have an illness. If you want to say that something is very common and easy to come by, 
you can describe it as a dime a dozen. I think of this idiom describing cards. So people collect baseball cards, football cards, and Pokemon cards. There's all sorts of cards that people collect. And the idea to collecting these cards is you buy a pack and you open it and you hope to get some rare card, but typically you just get the common cards that are a dime a dozen. So this is the idea that you could just buy, you know, these cards, a dozen of them, 12, for a dime, which is very inexpensive. So if you want to say that something is just generally very common, very cheap, very easy to find, you can say it's a dime a dozen. Now this idiom is very commonly heard in the United States, especially on television shows and in movies, but I don't personally say it a lot, so you should know what it is because you'll hear it frequently. The idiom is cat got your tongue. If you want to question why someone is being silent or maybe you think that they don't have a response because they're feeling sort of guilty, you can say, cat got your tongue. And this is a very sassy way of saying like, why aren't you speaking? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel bad? So I think this is why you'll hear this on a lot of television shows and movies because people are being very dramatic in these situations. If you need to say that there has to be two people involved to either solve a problem or cause a problem, you can say it takes two to tango. And the tango, of course, is a very popular dance that takes two people to do. And we use this idiom to say, you know, it takes two people to do something. So I have two children and if they are doing something and they're kind of getting in trouble, maybe one says it wasn't me, I'll say, takes two to tango. This means that it takes two of you to get in trouble together. You are both guilty. So you could also say this to someone if you need their help. If you need the assistance of another person, you could say, well, it takes two to tango, get over here and help me. It's kind of a funny phrase and it's used definitely more casually. If you are very tough and you like working out and exercising in the gym, I think that you'll like this next idiom or very common phrase. The phrase is no pain, no gain. So quite literally when you're exercising, you know, of course you're going to be sore after exercising very hard, maybe you lifted really heavy weights and your muscles need a few days to recover. If you're sore and you have pain, you're probably going to gain a lot of muscle. Now this idiom can also be used in situations where it just takes really hard work to do something. Like maybe you are taking a long time to finish a paper for school. You're working very hard, it's kind of unpleasant, but no pain, no gain. So that means if you don't work hard and make sacrifices, you're not going to have gains or, you know, successes. When you want to say that someone needs to confront a fear by doing something that they're scared of, you should tell them to take the bull by the horns. Now, this is the idea that quite literally, if, if you're afraid of a bull, they have horns on their head and, you know, you could grab them and try to ride the bull, but this is obviously used very figuratively, very idiomatically. Let's say you're afraid of public speaking, but you sign up for a speech class. You are really taking the bull by the horns. You're facing your fears. This next phrase is so common, I use it all of the time. When you're talking about someone and they enter the room and you were not expecting them to come into the room and you want to say, you know, I was just talking about you. It's more common to say, oh, speak of the devil. 
Now you might see this as kind of rude, but it's just so common here to say speak of the devil. And I think the full phrase is speak of the devil and they will appear. So you're, you're talking about this person and they come into the room unexpectedly, you can use this phrase. If you want to say that something is impossible to believe without actually seeing it for yourself, you can say the phrase, seeing is believing. So I had a friend that had never been to New York City and they said, I don't think it would be that great to ride the subway each day. Like, I don't think it would work very well. I could say to them, well, seeing is believing. Once you see it, you'll believe it because the public transportation in New York City is much better than anywhere else in the United States. So if you go see it for yourself, you'll understand what people are talking about. Instead of just telling someone to give up on something, you can say that they should just throw in the towel. So in fighting, if the fighter is getting, you know, too weak and you can tell that they should not be fighting anymore, your team or your coach will throw a white towel. That means you guys give up or surrender. So this phrase comes from that idea. If you give up on something, you can say, well, I'm just going to throw in the towel. When I was a kid, I really hated playing basketball at first. My first few seasons, I was really terrible. I didn't find it fun. And I just said, I want to just throw in the towel. But my mom wouldn't let me quit in the middle of the season. So I couldn't just throw in the towel. I had to keep going. But I actually ended up really liking basketball. And I played basketball for many more years after that. So I'm glad that she didn't just let me throw in the towel. If someone is being very stubborn and not changing their stance on something or they won't change their idea very easily, then you can say that they really are putting their foot down about something. When my kids watch TV, I'll say, okay, after one episode, we're turning the TV off and I'm putting my foot down about that. That means I'm going to be very firm, very stubborn about it. There's no more asking, hey, can we watch one more episode? Because I think too much TV turns my children into, I don't know, just kind of crazy kids. So I put my foot down about that. I'm very strict about it. So in the United States, the Kansas City Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. Now, when a sports team here gets really good, they get really popular, and a lot of people start to become fans, or they jump on the bandwagon. This just means that when something becomes popular, then you become a fan of it. And typically when someone in the United States is a fan of a team only because they're doing well, we call them a bandwagon fan. That means they're not a true fan. They weren't a fan of the team when they were doing bad, only when they're doing good. And you can use this idiom to jump on the bandwagon when talking about other popular things, not just sports. If you're giving a presentation or a speech and something is happening in the crowd, but you just ignore it and you keep going, you could say that you didn't miss a beat during your speech or during your presentation. We say this to someone when they just continue on without being distracted by something. So typically we use this idiom to give a compliment like even though there was a distraction, you didn't miss a beat, you just kept going. One of my favorite ways to say that you're going to change your direction or you're going to change your approach to something when you're having a problem is to say, wow, you really flipped the script. So let's say you are a teacher and you have a student in your class that is failing the class, they're doing really terribly, and suddenly they start studying, they start showing up to class, asking a lot of questions. You could say to that student, wow, you really flipped the script, your grade is turning around and you're really trying now. So this idiom, to flip the script, 
It means to just change your approach, change your direction, or even just changing your attitude. When you talk to people who are engineers, they're very smart, they're very passionate about what they're doing, but sometimes when you talk to them, they can really just get into the weeds on the topic. And if you're not knowledgeable about their type of engineering, let's say they're a computer engineer, well, you're not going to know what they're talking about and you're going to say, all right, you're getting a little bit into the weeds. This means you're talking about really small technical details. And I don't need to know all that because I don't understand it. So if you want to tell someone just to keep the conversation very general or you know, very understandable for you, you can say, hey, we don't need to get into the weeds here. If you are romantically interested in someone, we usually say that's your crush, and you're finally going to ask them out on a date or tell them that you like them, you could say you're finally going to make a move. So this idiom is used, you know, for love and dating, but you can also just use it whenever you're going to finally do something, some, take some big action on something that you've been waiting to do. You're finally going to make a move. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Instead of telling someone to keep something in mind, which is also kind of an idiom, a lot of people will say, bear in mind. This is one of my husband's favorite phrases. He uses it all of the time, so I have to teach it to you. If you want to tell someone a story, but you also need them to remember a detail for the story to make sense, you'll use this phrase. Let me show you. Yesterday, I took my kids outside to play in the snow. Bear in mind, it was freezing cold, so I didn't stay out there for very long. So instead of just telling you a story about playing with my kids outside in the snow, I need you to bear in mind or remember that it was very cold because it was pretty unpleasant to be outside, even though my kids did not care, they were having so much fun. When you first learn English, of course, you'll just learn basic sentences, basic verbs, basic nouns, basic greetings, but down the road, you'll need to know a ton of new idioms and advanced phrases. So this phrase, down the road, it means that later, in the future. It's very common to say, hey, down the road, you'll need to do this. That means in the future, you'll need to do this. And it's kind of like thinking about like driving, your future is down the road. Before we had iPhones, of course, we only had just regular phones and some people just had a home phone, but once we had iPhones, it was a total game changer to our entire life. So this phrase, a game changer, it's used to describe something that either really positively impacts things or, you know, it kind of throws a big challenge for things. It's some detail that either changes things for the good or for the bad. In the case of iPhones, you could argue that it was a positive game changer because now we can communicate so easily, but you could also say it's a negative game changer because people spend too much time on their smartphones. So use this phrase, game changer. It's a really good one. One thing that I say to myself when I feel stressed out, when I feel, you know, just kind of sad or angry, but I need to just focus on what I'm doing, I say, get it together, get it together, Kayla. This means just, you know, calm yourself down, relax. You need to do some work. You need to get things done. 
So you need to be careful using this phrase with other people, you know, because people can be very fragile in their emotions and you need to, of course, be like, are you okay? But when someone needs to just focus, get their work done, even though they're sad or stressed out, you could say, hey, you need to get it together. This means, you know, figure out your emotions, try to calm down. If you want to say that something happened quicker than you expected or it happened, you know, very fast, you could say before you knew it or before you know it. So I always thought it would take so long to become a teacher, but before you knew it, I had my own classroom and I had my own students. And then before I knew it, I was an online English teacher. So life just moves really fast. It means that even though things can feel like a long time, you know, the time passes quickly and before you know it, you're old. It's really important when you're making a deal with someone, especially if the deal seems really good for you to ask, what's the catch? Or you could say, there has to be a catch. So in this case, when we say there's a catch, it means there's something that's unexpected that will actually make the deal very difficult or very bad for you. And it's usually something that's very hidden. So sometimes in the United States, you'll see very good deals advertised for brand new cars. But the catch is that you're going to have to pay a lot of interest on your car payments. So the car is actually going to cost a lot more than you expect. There's always a catch when a deal seems too good. That means there's always something hidden that you will have to do that makes it challenging. My favorite idiom to say that two people or two things go along very well together is to say they're like two peas in a pod. And this is typically used just for people. If you think that, you know, your friends who are boyfriend and girlfriend just they work very well together, they're good friends, they're good in their relationship, you could say, oh, you two are just two peas in a pod. It's just a very cute phrase that means you go along together very well. One thing that's really common on American television is home remodeling. So they take somebody's house or a room in their house that's pretty ugly, pretty basic, and they actually transform it into a beautiful new room. Now they show the new room to the person who owns the house and the person always says, oh, I can't believe my eyes. Or, you know, they're just saying, I cannot believe it because it's so great. And also you could use this phrase if something was really bad. Oh, I can't believe my eyes, how bad it is. If you want to say this phrase to someone else, you'll say, can you believe your eyes? That means it's either really good or really bad. Of course, there's a lot of context to this phrase that's needed, but it's very common to say when something is, you know, astonishing, you can't believe it. The next two phrases are very common to say that you have two difficult choices and you don't even really want to choose between the two, but you have to choose. So the first phrase is to say, I'm between a rock and a hard place. And the second phrase is I have to choose between two evils. These are both very common phrases to use when you have to make a choice, but you don't really want to choose either option. So maybe your mother and your girlfriend both want to spend time with you. And if you say no to your mom, you're going to disappoint your girlfriend. And if you say no to your girlfriend, you're going to disappoint your mom. So you could say, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Now you wouldn't really say I have to choose between two evils because in this case, you know, both choices are okay, but you're just going to disappoint someone. If you have two bad choices, that you know are going to have bad implications for people, you'll have to say, I have to choose between two evils. When you want to say that someone is telling a story but not giving you a lot of detail, you can say, wow, you're leaving a lot to the imagination here. 
This means you're not giving enough detail and I'm just imagining a lot of crazy things. Now, if someone is giving you too much detail, you can either say that's TMI or too much information or you could say that's not leaving much to the imagination here. So it just means that you're giving way too much personal information about the situation. So a lot of times when people are telling really long stories, instead of saying, you know, the ending, they'll just say, well, and the rest is history. This means that you can kind of guess what's going to happen in the story because, you know, it's so well known. For instance, in Cinderella, you know, the prince and Cinderella get married and the rest is history. That means they just went on to live happy lives. I'm not going to tell you the rest of their lives because that would be a long and just boring story. So you hear this at the end of stories or the end of movies in the United States. The rest is history. That means you can pretty much guess what happened. So in the United States, there was actually a show for a while about an Asian American family. They had immigrated to the United States and the show was called Fresh Off the Boat. Now, I feel like this could be pretty insulting to say to someone like, oh, you're fresh off the boat. But I've heard people who have immigrated to the United States say this in a joking manner, like, oh, I was fresh off the boat. This just means I had just come to the United States or come to wherever, and I hadn't acclimated yet. I hadn't gotten used to everything yet. I hadn't learned the language. And of course, this phrase is not so literal. People are not actually coming to the United States on boats very frequently anymore. Most people fly, but it's just kind of a funny joking phrase that's used to say, I came here and I was not used to everything yet. I was very fresh, fresh off the boat. If you want to tell someone that something is impossible and not worth doing, you can say, don't even bother. It just means that something is just going to be too challenging or not worth the effort. So if you think that you need to learn every single word in the English language, don't even bother because there's always going to be new words and there's so many words that even native speakers don't know. So don't even bother. When you have a to-do list for the day, you probably want to just finish it quick and knock it out. When you say that, you know, you knocked out a task, that means you just finished it quickly and got it done. So usually in the morning, I knock out getting my bed made, I knock out unloading the dishwasher, I try to knock out the annoying things that I don't want to do later. So oftentimes in the United States, businesses will say, how did you hear about us? How did you hear to come to our store? Or how did you hear about our service? And you know, they'll say, did you hear about us on a commercial? Did you hear about us on social media? And you could say, no, just word of mouth. This means that maybe you heard someone talking about them or a friend told you about the store or about the service. So the phrase word of mouth means you didn't hear it anywhere officially or written, just someone told you. This phrase can be kind of confusing when you hear it for the first time. When someone says it's go time, it just means it's time to start. Let's get ready, let's be motivated, it's go time. And this phrase is especially used in movies, you know, when you know at the end they have a big plan, maybe they're going to do something or rescue someone and everybody's ready, they'll say, okay, it's go time, let's go. When you ask someone a question and you know, they know the answer and you you want to ask them a follow-up question, it's kind of like, you know, you're testing their knowledge. It might not be an official test. It might not be a teacher saying this. We say, oh, do you know this too? Bonus points if you can answer this question. Bonus points just means like, you don't have to know this, but it would be cool if you did. It's really a common thing to say. You know, it's common in actual game shows and actual trivia competitions, but we also just say it in our normal everyday conversations. Bonus points if you know where that was made. You know, it's just kind of saying, 
This is a fun fact. It's not absolutely necessary to know. A funny phrase that I hear quite commonly is to say that someone had white knuckles. So if someone is afraid, especially if they're on a roller coaster or if they're in a fast car, they might be gripping onto their seat or gripping onto their chair and they might be white knuckling. So we use this as a verb. It just means they're holding on very tight because they are afraid that they're going to fly off or crash in the car. One thing that I really take pride in my life is a clean house. I always try to have everything clean and tidy so that you know it just doesn't feel cluttered or disorganized, but it's a lot of work cleaning your own house and keeping it clean. So sometimes I have to swallow my pride and I have to ask for help around the house. You know, I ask my kids to pick up after themselves. I ask my husband to help me with certain tasks. I feel like it's my pride, but you know, I have to ask for help because I can't do it all myself. And I feel like this phrase, to swallow your pride, is very common and you should also be very aware of what it means. When you're learning a language, sometimes you feel like, I don't wanna ask what this means, but you have to swallow your pride and ask so that you can learn the phrase or learn the new word and you can understand what's being said. But it can be kind of embarrassing or hard to ask for help sometimes, but it's important just to swallow your pride, you know, say, it's okay if I don't know, and ask for help. When a situation is starting to become chaotic, you can say it's going off the rails. Think of this as a train that, you know, is about to just break, it goes off the rails. It's called derailing. But if you want to just talk about a situation in life that's starting to get chaotic or crazy, you could say this is going off the rails. When someone asks you a question like, could I use your pen in English? You can respond politely by saying yes, or of course, or certainly, or you can use this next idiom. You could say, by all means. This idiom is just used to give someone permission in a very polite way, by all means, yes, of course. So it's not, you know, it's not necessary to always say this phrase, but it's just polite and you'll hear it commonly to say, of course, yes, you can do it, you have permission. There are two types of people in this world, in my opinion. There are those that when they travel, they bring everything except for the kitchen sink, and there are those that travel light. So these are both idioms, but the idiom that I'm going to teach you is to travel light. When someone travels light, it means they only bring essential things. They don't pack too many clothes or they don't pack unnecessary things. So people who travel light, they often only have one backpack to hold when they go on an airplane. But people who bring everything on a trip, they probably have a really big suitcase, a backpack, a purse, a lot of different things. So I personally try to travel light, but it isn't always easy. This next phrase is used pretty sarcastically in English. So if you want to tell someone that they're thinking too highly of another person, you can say, it's like you worship the ground that they walk on. So you're saying, you know, this person isn't that great. You're like worshiping, you're, you're thinking they're like a god. And of course this phrase is not literal, it's just an idiom, but it's used to say, you know, you think highly of someone. Or if you're a big fan of, let's say, Lady Gaga, you could say, I worship the ground that Lady Gaga walks on. And of course this is a very dramatic way to use the phrase, but you get the idea. In the United States, there is an actual baseball hall of fame. It's a place you can go in Cooperstown and you can go and see pictures of really great baseball players and all sorts of artifacts like baseball bats and baseballs. 
It's called the Hall of Fame. It's used to display the best players in the sport. So this phrase is used in other situations besides literal halls of fame. It's used to just say that something is really good or it's the best. Another phrase that's really great to use when you want to describe something that is excellent or it's the best is to say it's world-class. So in the United States, Chicago is known as a world-class city. They have some of the best restaurants, they have some of the best museums, and they have some of the best sports teams. So it's known as a world-class city. In a lot of different countries, you know, you might say we have world-class whatever it is, a certain type of food, a certain type of dessert, or a certain type of university, whatever it may be. The last few idioms in this English lesson are kind of gambling cards, money related. The first one is to hit the jackpot. If you say that you hit the jackpot, it means that something very lucky happened to you. Something very big happened to you as well. You know, if you married someone very good, you could say, I really hit the jackpot with my wife or with my husband. If you want to say that someone is risking everything for something, you can say, they bet the house. This phrase means you use all your money to bet on something because you're pretty sure it's going to happen. A similar phrase is to say, I'm going to bank on it. And I use this phrase all the time. If you are going to go outside all day, you can say, I am banking on it being very nice weather today. That means you're pretty sure it's not going to rain. It's not going to be cloudy. You're banking on nice weather. You're very sure it's going to happen and you're relying on it. And if you want to say that something is going to probably happen, you can say, I think it's in the cards. Now, in the opposite way, you can say, this is not in the cards for today. So if someone says, hey, do you think that we can go out to dinner tonight? You could say, I'm really tired. I just don't think it's in the cards for me today. That means it's probably not going to happen. This first phrase is really funny to me. The phrase is a pickup line. A pickup line is a sentence that you use to initiate a conversation with someone that you find attractive or you are romantically interested in them. Now, it's very bold to use a pickup line. So there are a lot of cheesy, which means like overused and kind of funny pickup lines that we have in English. One is, did it hurt when you fell? And the person would say, what? What are you talking about? And they're like, did it hurt when you fell from heaven because you're so beautiful, like an angel? Now that is an example of an extremely cheesy pickup line, but you might say, hey, I really, uh, I like your hair. That could be a pickup line as well. So we use this phrase, a pickup line, when we're talking about the first thing that someone says in a conversation to try to initiate the conversation, maybe flirt or ask someone on a date. If you want to describe someone who is very hyper, who is completely full of energy, or maybe they're just very anxious, and they can't sit still, you can say they are bouncing off the wall. So I celebrate Christmas, so the main example that I think of when I think of this phrase, bouncing off the wall, is on Christmas morning, my kids go downstairs and they have a ton of presents and usually a lot of treats and candy and they are just bouncing off the wall. They're so excited that they can't sit still and they're usually literally bouncing, jumping on the couches, whatever. So if someone is extremely excited or happy, they are bouncing off the wall. This next phrase is extremely useful in your daily conversations. When you want to tell someone that they shouldn't worry about something, you know, because maybe you have handled the responsibility 
or maybe you did a favor for them and you don't want them to feel like they have to pay you back, you can say, don't sweat it. So maybe if you do something for a coworker at your job and they say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't get to that. You could say, hey, I can submit that for you. Don't sweat it. That means don't worry about it. Don't let it bother you. It's no big deal to me. So it's a very casual, very friendly English phrase. Don't sweat it. This next phrase reminds me of a time in college. I was at a party and there were two guys dancing and one was trying to dance and then the other one was trying to show off and dance too. They were going tit for tat. This is kind of a funny phrase as well, but you'll hear people often say this phrase when two people are trying to match each other. They're trying to match each other's energy or be a little bit competitive. So in baseball, which is a very popular sport here in the United States, and in Japan, actually, you'll often find that the pitchers each inning will go tit for tat. So one pitcher has a really good performance in the inning, and then the other pitcher, because, you know, they're trying to win the game, they'll go tit for tat, and they'll have a good performance as well. So there's a good sports example for you of going tit for tat. It means, you know, you're trying to equal each other's effort. This next phrase is used especially if you are giving a little bit of attitude in a conversation. When you want to say that someone is capable of doing something, especially if it's negative or maybe they're lying about something and someone says, I don't think they would do that, you can say, I do. I wouldn't put it past them. So the phrase, I wouldn't put it past them, means I don't doubt that they would do something bad or they would even lie. In the United States, health insurance is kind of a mess. We all pay a lot of money to get health insurance coverage so that we can go to the doctor. Now, even if you have health insurance in the United States, it's never guaranteed that they will pay for your care, as messed up as that seems. So I would not put it past health insurance companies to deny your medical claim. That means, you know, I wouldn't doubt that even if you think you're insured and you think you did everything correctly, you still get a huge bill after going to the doctor in the United States. I wouldn't put it past the insurance companies. A good phrase that you can use when something is finished or complete is you can say, it's a wrap. That means it's all done. I think traditionally this phrase is used after a television set or a movie set is done filming the movie or the television show and they're all done for the day, they'll say, it's a wrap. But we say this in our everyday English as well. So when you finish a project at work and everyone says, is there anything else to do? And you can say, it's a wrap, we're all done. One thing that you might not know about me is when I was younger, I was a pretty good soccer player. And one time, despite being a good soccer player and despite working hard, I did not make the soccer team. And you know what? I thought it was just politics. This phrase, it's just politics, it means that even though, you know, you were good enough or even though, you know, something should have happened, politics got in the way. Another good example I can think of this phrase is when you're supposed to get a promotion at work, maybe you think you are the most competent worker, you work harder than everyone else, you're never late, someone else might get promoted because, you know, the boss likes them, or maybe they're even related to the boss. So it feels like it's just politics. You're kind of justifying why you didn't get the promotion or why what should have happened 
did not happen because there's politics in place. And politics would describe usually like a president and all the politicians that make the laws in a country. But we also just say like the policies, the important people. So it could be at a company, an organization, or in my first example, you know, I was trying to make the soccer team. There was coaches and parents that were all friends and it was just politics. I didn't make the team. I almost want to sing to you for this next English phrase. The phrase is let it go. If you have young children, or maybe if you're just a Disney fan, you've probably seen the movie Frozen, and she sings, let it go. Now this English phrase is actually pretty popular just in our normal conversations as well. If you say, let it go, that means let the problem go. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it too much and don't make it a bigger problem. The opposite of letting something go is to hold a grudge, which would mean to resent someone or to try to punish them further, even after, you know, they caused an issue with you or they were rude to you or whatever it was. Thinking about sports again, if you've ever seen a sports game where a player got really angry and they started yelling at the ref about, you know, maybe a bad call or they think something else should have happened and they get kicked out of the game, well, they should have just let it go. They should have just walked away, let go of the problem, and kept playing, and then they would not have gotten kicked out of the game and they could have helped their team more. So if you want to tell someone not to worry about a problem or not to hold a grudge anymore, you can say, just let it go. Don't worry about it. When I was in school, I was terrible at math. And today, I could not even solve a calculus problem, even if I tried. So the phrase, not even if I tried, is what we'll be learning today. The phrase, not even if I tried, means that even if you are willing to try and put the effort into solving a problem or into doing something, you just could not do it because you don't have the skill or the problem is too hard. There is a pizza restaurant by me that has this challenge where you have to eat a pizza that's probably about that big. It's it's as big as my arms. And you have to do it in 30 minutes. And if you eat the whole pizza, then you get a picture of yourself on the wall. I know it sounds super strange, but these kind of eating challenges are really common here in the United States. Let me know if you've ever seen one of these in your country or on television or whatever. But I couldn't even eat that pizza even if I tried. That means even if I wanted to, I don't think my stomach is big enough to eat it, especially in 30 minutes. A great phrase for describing a very difficult person to work with is to say that they are a piece of work. Now, this phrase is also considered a bit rude, so be really careful how you use it. So you might hear someone say that that person is a piece of work. It means they are very difficult to work with. They cause a lot of problems. Let me give you an example. At a job I had once, I had a coworker that would show up every day late to work. They would not dress very nice. You know, everybody had to dress nicely in the office and this person would not follow the dress code. And actually this coworker looked like they had just woke up and they were really lazy when it came to helping out at the office. So they were just a piece of work to deal with. And actually it didn't take long where they got fired from the job because they just were not doing enough work. 
If you live in the United States, you probably see Amazon drivers driving around all of the time delivering packages. If you didn't already know, Amazon just started out as a book online store. So you could just buy books online on Amazon. But what I think really put Amazon on the map is the fact that they offer two-day delivery. This phrase, to put something or someone on the map, it means there is an accomplishment or some sort of thing that makes the person stand out, either makes them famous or it makes them very successful. So as a company, the fact that they were able to deliver things, even not just books, in two days was super convenient for people and the company just blew up here in the United States and so many people order things off Amazon, including myself. It's very convenient to get something just two days later. And now, a lot of times you can even get things one day later or even later the same day delivered right to your house. It's so convenient. Hopefully you have never done what this next phrase is. The phrase is to shoot yourself in the foot. Now literally, obviously this would mean to shoot yourself in the foot, to injure yourself. I mean, that would be terrible, but we use this phrase figuratively in the United States to mean that you do something that is going to negatively affect yourself. So for instance, if you don't study for a test and you show up to the test and you fail it, you really shot yourself in the foot because you didn't put the effort in, you were not ready for the test. But maybe you thought, well, I actually know a lot about this test. I've been doing really well in the class. I'm gonna do great. I'm not gonna study. That's still shooting yourself in the foot. Oftentimes we use this phrase to shoot yourself in the foot when you're doing something that is unintentionally going to harm you later. Speaking of feet, this next phrase is to take steps in the right direction. Oftentimes in English, we say that steps are actions that you can take to get to a goal or to progress towards some sort of positive thing. So if we say, hey, you're taking steps in the right direction, that means your actions right now are going to help you later to help achieve your goal. We often say this phrase to someone when they get kind of discouraged, when they're working hard, but they don't feel like they're making a ton of progress. You can say, well, at least you're taking steps in the right direction. So maybe if someone is trying to lose weight, they might say, oh, I worked out this week and I ate healthy, but I only lost one pound. And you can say, well, at least you're taking steps in the right direction. And that means all of these healthy habits are eventually going to help you lose weight in the future. A phrase that reminds me of Game of Thrones is the phrase up for grabs. This phrase means that it is anyone's chance to claim something. So you might make a dessert, maybe cookies or cupcakes, and there's one left. You could say, hey, the last one is up for grabs if anyone wants another dessert. That means nobody's claimed it, but anyone can have it. In Game of Thrones, the premise of the show was, you know, there's someone trying to be the ruler or the king or the queen of all the kingdoms. The throne was sometimes up for grabs, which means it felt like anyone could claim it and, and everyone would try to claim the throne. It is important that you know this phrase if you are trying to be a good friend. When someone's describing a really painful or sad situation in their life, you can say, I feel your pain. This just means that I empathize with you or I can understand why you're so sad. 
Now, if someone's describing a really sad situation that's very specific to them, you wouldn't use this phrase. But you can also use this phrase when someone's saying they're very irritated or annoyed with someone. They might say, I have so much work to do over the weekend. I can't believe it. I don't want to work on the weekend. You could say, oh, I feel your pain. I have to work this weekend too. That means I understand why you feel so annoyed. This next phrase, I hope that you never have to use. When someone does something to you that's very negative or very wrong, you can say that you got burned. If someone has ever sold you a product and it didn't work very well, but you can't get your money back, you could say, I got burned. That means, you know, I got swindled or I suffered something very negative from what this person told me or sold to me. Another romantic phrase that I think you should know if you're learning English is to get down on one knee. So in the United States, when someone proposes, usually the man asks to marry the woman, that's the traditional way here, they will get down on one knee. They don't necessarily always do this. It depends on your relationship and how traditional you are, but that is the traditional way to ask someone to marry you. So we use this phrase to ask if someone proposed, we can say, did they get down on one knee or you finally got down on one knee? This just means they proposed. It's completely equivalent here in English. Did you ever see the video of the girl who was twerking or dancing in her apartment and then she fell down and she hit a candle and it started everything on fire? This video went completely viral. Tons of people watched it. They thought it was real. They were so shocked, but it turns out we all got played. This means we all got fooled or deceived by this video because it was actually a stunt woman or someone who professionally does stunts or dangerous things. And a show here in the United States, the Jimmy Kimmel Show, made this video to see if they could make it go viral and fool everyone on the internet. So we all got played by this video. Even I did. I totally thought it was real the first time I saw it. If you want to say that someone made an extra effort or sacrifice to help you out, you can say they went out of their way. So to go out of your way means to help someone by doing something very extra for them. Maybe you've done something very extra for someone and they didn't even thank you. You could say, I went out of my way to help you and you didn't even say thanks. This obviously would be saying that I made all of this effort and you weren't very grateful. So you can use this phrase to go out of your way very frequently in English to mean that you made an extra effort to help someone. Recently, I had a project in my house. I painted the bathroom. It was the color yellow. And even though I like the color yellow, I think it looks terrible on walls. And I just painted my bathroom white. And I was really excited about this house project. And I said to my husband, this is really going to knock your socks off. This is going to look really good. And he wasn't that impressed, to be honest. I think men just don't notice small things like the color of walls very much. But I use this phrase to knock your socks off to mean that it's going to impress you. It's going to highly impress you. So the next time you want to say that something was, you know, really impressive, you thought it was great, you thought the person did a great job, you could say, you knocked my socks off. It's kind of a funny older phrase, but I would still say it's pretty common and everyone understands it here in the United States. 
A phrase that means that something is very secure and protected is to say that it is locked down. Another interesting way that you can use this phrase is when someone is in a very committed relationship, maybe they even just got married, you can say, well, they are locked down. That means they're very committed. A more common way to even use this phrase is to say that a deal is done. So if you're doing a business deal, you can say, we have this deal locked down. Everyone just needs to sign the papers. That means everything's secure. It's all done. There's not going to be any changes. It's locked down. In English, a skirt, of course, is an article of clothing that women typically wear, but you can actually also use this noun as a verb, to skirt something. If you skirt something, it means you avoid a very unpleasant situation or just a responsibility in general. So oftentimes, I will skirt around making dinner by just ordering takeout and bringing it home for my family. So the responsibility that I have is making dinner, but I skirted around it by just ordering takeout. This phrase can also be used when you're just avoiding a person or you're avoiding being seen. You can say, I skirted around. I didn't want to be seen. A very common way to say that you were surprised or very confused by something is to say you were thrown for a loop. So to throw someone for a loop means that you surprise them or you confuse them. If you were getting married and having your wedding and the day of the wedding, someone in your family that you are very close with texts you and says, hey, I'm not coming to your wedding, that would really throw you for a loop. That means you would be very confused and you'd actually be probably pretty upset by it as well. So to throw someone for a loop means to throw some sort of information at them that's going to confuse them and they're going to wonder why you're doing it. This next phrase was actually brought to me by my son the other day. He said, I was outside running up a storm. And I just thought it was so funny for him to be using this idiom, just because he's very young and I don't often hear him use phrases like this often, but he must have picked it up from one of the adults in his life. So when you say doing something up a storm, I'll explain it a little bit better in a moment here. It means you're doing something with a lot of energy and intensity. So you could say, I'm cleaning up a storm right now. That means you are cleaning your whole entire house. You're making everything super clean and sparkly. Or like my son said, he was running up a storm outside. He was running everywhere. He had a lot of energy and he was doing it with a lot of intensity. You could say to someone, wow, you're really writing up a storm right now or you're reading up a storm right now. That means they're just doing those things very quickly with a lot of energy. Have you ever heard the phrase up to speed? This phrase means that you're giving someone the knowledge or information to be a part of the situation or to know what's going on. So if you call a friend that you haven't talked to in a very long time, they will often get you up to speed on all the things in their life. They'll tell you all the drama and all the different things that are going on. They'll get you up to speed. We can also say catch you up to speed. That just means get you to the information or knowledge that you need to be a part of the conversation, or if you're in a workplace to help you know what to do in the job. A really, really common phrase in English conversation is to say, what a nightmare. So as you can probably guess, this phrase means that something sounds terrible. It sounds very bad. It sounds almost 
so bad that it would be a nightmare and not reality. A nightmare is a bad dream if you didn't already know. In the United States, when you have to go get a new identification card or driver's license, it is such a nightmare going to the office to get it because you obviously need so many documents. And I think here we are very strict about what is an acceptable document and what is not an acceptable document. And it's just, it's a nightmare, honestly. A good phrase that you can use when you want to say that someone needs to limit or control something is to rein something in. Now, if you spend a lot of money, you might need to rein in your spending. And this is spelled differently than the weather rain. So pay close attention to the words on screen. If you have a problem shopping, you need to rein in your spending. If you have a problem with drinking, you need to rein in your drinking. This just means you need to limit it or control it. The first phrase is very common amongst English learners. The phrase is no matter what. When you want to say that you're very committed to an idea, you're very committed to doing something, you're very committed to liking something or disliking something, you can say that you will do it no matter what. So I have seen the movie The Sound of Music so many times throughout my life, maybe a hundred times. I watch it a lot around the holidays. It's always on television around the holidays. So even though I've seen it a hundred times, no matter what, I will still always like that movie just because it's so classic and it's so heartwarming. If you are very committed to waking up early in the morning, you can say, I will wake up at 7 a.m. no matter what. Nothing can stop you. Meaning even if you're really tired and you stayed up too late, you are going to be very committed to waking up early. If you are very committed to a goal or a dream that you have, you can say, I will graduate from college no matter what. This means that nothing can stop you from reaching your goal of graduating from college. Even if it's challenging, even if you want to give up, you will do it no matter what. If you want to say that someone really knows what they're talking about, they're very knowledgeable, they've studied something for a long time, you can say, you really know what you're talking about. Now, this is an informal compliment, so don't use it in a super formal context, but if you're just impressed by someone's knowledge, you can use this phrase. So ophthalmologists, they really know what they're talking about when it comes to eyes. Ophthalmologists, that word in English, it means an eye doctor, someone who has studied the eye, who does eye surgery, who can help you with any sort of medical eye problem. So of course, they really know what they're talking about when it comes to eyes. If you want to reassure someone that someone else is knowledgeable, you can say they really know what they're talking about. If you've ever had a friend talk about a movie or a TV show that you haven't seen and they just talk about how good it is and you say, yeah, you've got me there, I really need to see it. This phrase, you've got me there, it means they have a very valid point. And this phrase is used when they're saying something that you should do or they're saying you're kind of wrong on that. You can say, yeah, you've got me there. So if you use this phrase, you're just admitting that they have a good point or a good idea or they're giving you good advice that you should do. So your friend might be saying, you haven't seen Game of Thrones? It's such a good show. Everybody watched it. I can't believe that you missed it. And you can say, well, you've got me there. Maybe I should watch it. If you want to tell someone that they have good style, meaning they dress really well, 
or they make really good choices when it comes to music or food or style of their house, you can use this phrase, they have good taste. Someone's taste can mean, you know, what they're eating, but it can also mean their preferences, what they like. It's the same exact thing as saying their style. A funny way to use this phrase is if you see someone in public and they're dressed in the same way as you or you guys happen to be wearing the same shirt or the same shoes, you can say, oh, I like your shoes, you have good taste. And they might laugh because they realize that you are matching or you have the same thing. Maybe you know someone who always has a good movie or always has a good television show or always has good music to recommend to you. You can say, I always ask you for your recommendations because you have good taste or you have great taste. This means that you like their opinions of music, movies, and television shows. One phrase that's incredibly popular in television shows, movies, and especially in books is in the blink of an eye. When you say in the blink of an eye, it usually means that something changes from one thing to another in a really fast way, or it just feels like it happened so fast. So if you're not careful when you're walking near traffic, in the blink of an eye, you could get very hurt. Of course, you know, you have to be careful when you're crossing the street and things and look up. Or if you're texting while driving in the blink of an eye, you can get in an accident. This means you should pay attention to the road because an accident can happen so fast if you look down at your phone while you're driving, which you should never do, of course. You can also use this phrase in a positive way. So if something happened really fast that was good to you, you could say, in the blink of an eye, I was promoted to manager after working at my company for only a few months. So even though a few months time wouldn't be considered a short amount of time normally, it might feel short because you promoted so quickly to manager. You'll hear this phrase a lot in the media, so keep an eye out for it. This next English phrase is very useful. You can use it in kind of two ways here. The first way you can use it, you can say you are going to drop a bomb on someone. And of course, this is an idiomatic expression. So there is no literal bomb or explosive being dropped. But your words that you are saying to someone are going to be so heavy or they're going to, you know, be very sad or very dramatic news that it's like dropping a bomb on someone. One example that comes to mind is if you've ever traveled internationally, you have to make sure to bring your passport. And maybe you're traveling with a group of friends and you get to the airport and you realize you forgot your passport and now you have to tell your friends. You might say, well, I'm sorry to drop a bomb on you guys, but I forgot my passport. So this would be terrible news because now the trip might be ruined. You might not be able to go get your passport in time to make it to your airplane or your flight. Another way that you can use this phrase is you can say you're going to drop a truth bomb, which means you're going to bring attention to a fact or some knowledge that everyone kind of knows, but it's really devastating and everyone tries to ignore it, but you're going to drop the truth bomb. You're going to tell everybody. So for instance, you could say, I'm going to drop a truth bomb on you guys and tell you that global warming will affect our planet and ruin our planet if we don't start changing our habits. So this is some devastating news. It's some news that we kind of already know, but you're dropping the truth bomb. You're letting everybody know, and you're telling everyone to change their habits. 
The phrase along the lines is incredibly useful in casual spoken English. You will hear native speakers say it all of the time. If you want to say that you have an idea or just a general idea of something that you want to do or something that you want to have, you can use this phrase along the lines. So someone might say, what are you going to make for dinner tonight? And you can say, well, I was thinking something along the lines of like meat and vegetables. This means you don't know the exact recipe you're going to use. And maybe you'll do chicken, maybe you'll do beef, maybe you'll do corn, maybe you'll do carrots. But something along the lines of just meat and vegetables, you will probably variate those two things a little bit if you just have an idea of what you want to do along the lines. Or if you're like me, you never know what you're going to do on the weekend. So someone might ask you, what are your plans for the weekend? And you could say, well, I was thinking something along the lines of going for a long walk and going to some park. So you're just talking very generally. You're talking very vaguely. And you're not sure exactly what you're going to do, but you know what you want to do a little bit along the lines of. One thing that's important if you ever work in sales is to be assertive, but not too pushy. Now this adjective pushy, it means you're too assertive and you're trying to make someone buy something or do something and they don't like it. So this adjective pushy, it comes from the phrase to push something on someone. So when you push something on someone else, it means you make them do it or you make them take it or have it or you make them accept a favor that maybe they didn't want to accept. So for instance, some people will push food and drinks on you when you go to their house. They'll say, have another drink. No, I insist. Go, go, go. Or they'll say, here, you need to eat some of this food. I insist. Even if you say, I'm full, I don't want anything. They will push food on you. Maybe you want to offer someone something. Maybe you want to offer them help or a gift or something but you're not sure if they want to accept it. So you'll say, I don't want to push this on you, but if you wanted to, I could help you out on Saturday or whatever it is. So to push something means to assert something or make someone accept something. But if you use this in the way that you say, I don't want to do it, it just means you don't want to be pushy. You're trying to be polite. You let the person know that they can not accept what you're asking or what you're telling and your feelings won't be hurt if you say, I don't want to push this on you. Some people say that we are living in the peak of human existence right now. This means that for as long as humans have been alive, this is the greatest time to be alive, but it might get worse after this. I don't know if that's true, but that's just the first example that came to mind when teaching this phrase to peak, when something peaks. So normally a peak in English means the top of a mountain, the very, very top. Now, when we talk about someone peaking in life, it means that their life is really good. They have accomplished really high things. They're very successful. But if we say they're peaking, it means they're not going to get better. They're just going to get worse. When you say that something has peaked, you can say it has gotten as good it's going to get but it's not going to get any better. It's probably going to get worse. You might hear in the media someone say they reached the peak of their popularity. So I picture music like Harry Styles, like pop music. You know, it was really popular a year ago, his music was, and it probably peaked. I don't know if it will be as popular in the future, but I could be wrong. 
Some people say it's not good to peak in life when you're young, even though you feel like you want to be popular when you're young with your friends and you want to be very cool. It's actually better to peak as an older adult because things will get better then in your life and not just worse after being a kid. Have you ever listened to music and at first you didn't really like it or you thought it was okay, but you didn't see yourself listening to it a lot, but then you grew to like it, it became your favorite music? Well, this is the next phrase, to grow to like something or to grow to dislike something. These phrases mean that you are changing your opinion over time. So maybe you like something a little bit at the beginning, but the more and more you do it, or the more and more you're exposed to it, the more you grow to like it, which means you like it a lot. When I first heard Bad Bunny's music, I thought it was okay. I didn't see myself listening to it a lot. But then I started listening to the album every day and I really, really grew to like Bad Bunny and his music. The next phrase that I'm going to teach you is to dangle something. Now, literally to dangle something would mean to hold it out in front of a person or an animal to try to get them, you know, to come to you or do a trick or something. But we use this often metaphorically or in an idiomatic way as well. So you could say, I was dangling some candy or I was dangling a reward in front of my kid in order to get them to clean their room. This doesn't mean you were literally holding it, but you were saying, hey, if you clean your room, you're going to get a treat later. So you can use it in this way or Adults sometimes have things dangled in front of them in order to work harder. For instance, your boss might say, hey, you're going to get a pay raise at the end of the year if you do all this work and finish all these things and if you stay late every day. So they're asking a lot of you, but they're promising something that's not for sure, but they're kind of dangling it in front of you. And oftentimes when this happens, I feel like people are lying. Like they're saying, oh, it's going to be so great. You just have to work really hard for it. They're dangling a reward in front of you. They're trying to get you to work harder. This next phrase is incredibly common for native English speakers to say. And I think it comes so naturally to say that we don't often notice that we're using this phrase. The phrase is in retrospect. Now, this phrase is very simple to use. If you want to say that you're reflecting on something that happened in the past, knowing what you would know now in the present, you can say, well, in retrospect, I would have done this instead. So for instance, in retrospect, many people would have invested in companies like Apple 30 years ago, knowing what they know now. And now they would be millionaires because they would have made so much money. You can use this in your own personal life too. You could say, in retrospect, I would have dressed warmer if I knew it was going to be so cold out today. So this means you got up in the morning, you got dressed, not knowing what the weather would be later in the day. In a casual English conversation, you can use this phrase to bring in the big bucks. If you want to talk about someone who's making a lot of money, like a lot, a lot of money, use this phrase. It's kind of funny. So for instance, at first... Ed Sheeran, I just watched the Ed Sheeran documentary. I thought it was pretty good. He was just performing on the street. He was what we call busking. He was asking for money for just playing his guitar and singing on the street. He wasn't really bringing in the big 
bucks though. This means he was not making very good money yet. Now he sells out stadiums with thousands of people. So he is really bringing in the big bucks as an international pop star. When you want to say that attention has been brought to something or some sort of event, you can say that it has come into the spotlight. So a literal spotlight would mean to shine light on something on stage so that everyone looks at it. But if you're using this phrase in an idiomatic way, you're saying that something has brought attention to an important issue or to a person. So recently, there was the tragic submarine accident, the Ocean Gate submersible, but that has really brought into spotlight how dangerous the ocean can actually be. I didn't know anything about submarines or going down under to see the Titanic until this accident. So it really brought in the dangers of the ocean into the spotlight. This means all the media and all of the news has been focused on this event. This next phrase can be used in a really funny way. When you want to say that someone is being so bold, so hypocritical, they're being too assertive, you can say, wow, the audacity. So if you say that someone is audacious, this is an adjective that means that a person is willing to take risks. But usually this can be used in a positive way to describe someone. But if you say, I can't believe the audacity of this person, it's used negatively. You're saying they don't have a right to be so bold or to be so assertive. So for instance, if you have a boss that shows up late every day to work and then they show up late and they say, wow, you need to get work done or you need to not take so long of a lunch, you could say the audacity of saying that to me when you're the one that shows up late every day. So you're saying it's kind of hypocritical, it's kind of bold of them to say something bad about your own actions when their actions aren't perfect either. Another example that comes to mind is if your parents comment on something that you don't think they have a right to comment on because they're not perfect either, you could say, you guys have the audacity to talk about my finances or you guys have the audacity to talk about where I live, whatever it might be. You're just saying that they are being too bold and they should stay out of your business. When you want to describe someone that is very sad and they look very helpless, you can use the phrase, they look like a sad puppy. Whenever I watch a championship sports game, the losing team after the game, they always look like sad puppies. That means they always look so sad and defeated, just like a puppy would be like if they were sad because you're like, oh, I feel so bad for them. So you're saying like you have sympathy for someone if they look like a sad puppy. You might hear this phrase used in television shows or movies as well. This next English phrase is so common, so pay close attention. If you want to say that something is going to be mentioned or something is going to be talked about, you can say it's going to be brought up. So to bring something up means to mention it or talk about it. And you can say, please don't bring this up in conversation. For instance, if someone just lost their job, you might not want to bring up finances or money around them because they might feel bad because they're going through a tough time. Or you can say, I know Kelly's looking for a job, so maybe you can bring up that your company is hiring. That just means 
mention it very casually, very quickly. It doesn't have to be a super serious conversation. They say it's never polite to bring up politics at the dinner table. So don't mention it. Don't talk about it. Another topic that we don't often bring up in the United States is someone's age. So we won't ask them their age or we won't talk about how old they are unless they mention it themselves. This next phrase is really great to use either in a business context or just in your everyday conversations as well. If you want to say that something was solidified, you can say it sealed the deal. So for instance, you can seal the deal on your opinion. This means you maybe didn't know how you felt about something before, but now your opinion is solid. You know exactly how you feel because it was sealed. The deal was sealed. So you could say, I didn't know how I felt about snow before this winter, but now it has really sealed the deal. I don't like it. So maybe the winter was really bad. It was really harsh. Your opinion is formed now. You could say, I think that we have gotten the client to agree. We just have to seal the deal by signing it. So this would be more literal. You could say the deal is not complete or solid until they sign it even though we think they're going to agree to it, the deal. This next English phrase is a little bit confusing to English learners. When I say that someone is giving attitude, it means they're behaving in a rude way or they're saying rude things or they're being difficult to work with. Now, normally when we say someone's attitude, it just means the way that they act or feel towards another person or towards a thing. So you can have a positive attitude or you can have a negative attitude. When we use this phrase, someone is giving us attitude, it means that they have a negative attitude. They're being very difficult. So if you have someone that you're working with and you're, you're pretty familiar with them, you know, you wouldn't want to say this to your boss and they're just being super difficult. They're not doing what you asked them to do or they're doing it, but they're being very rude when they respond to you. You can say, why are you giving me attitude on this? This means why are you acting rude and being difficult? Here's the thing. This next phrase is very important for you to learn. The phrase, here's the thing, just means you're about to say something very important or you're about to say something that will give justification for something. When we use this phrase, here's the thing, we're usually saying here's a problem that we need to focus on or here's an important piece of information that we need to focus on. And this is used all of the time in casual conversation. So maybe you get asked to go to your friend's party, but you don't have a car, so you won't be able to drive there. And maybe there's no bus that is running at the time of the party. So you could say, yes, I would love to come to your party, but here's the thing. I don't have a car and there's no bus at that time. So you're saying, yes, I want to come, but the thing or the problem is your transportation or how you will get there. So maybe in this conversation, you would solve the problem by saying, I'm going to get an Uber or a taxi or someone can come pick you up. This next phrase is rhetorical, but it's used all of the time in daily conversation. When you start your sentence with imagine having to, you're asking someone to think of a situation but you're not literally asking them to imagine it or to tell you about it. You're just saying like, wow, this would be a tough situation. 
So maybe you're looking at someone who has a large amount of kids. Maybe they have five, six, seven, or even eight kids. When I see a family like that, I just say to myself, oh, imagine having to feed all of those kids. That means imagine the amount of food. It's incredible. So it can be something that's just very shocking or very awful. You could say something like, imagine having to replace all your things after you lose your house in a fire. So it's a bad situation. And you're saying, imagine having to do that because you just think it's such a bad situation. You can only imagine it. Have you ever known someone who seems to spend money on their credit card and they're living in denial that they have to pay it back at the end of the month? This English phrase, to live in denial, it means you do things without thinking about the consequences or you ignore what's going to happen in the end. Sometimes we eat unhealthy food and we're just kind of living in denial like the food is unhealthy. We're just saying, oh, it's okay for us, but it might not be good. So when you're living in denial, it means you're doing things and you're ignoring the consequences or the bad outcomes that might come from doing these things. And here's a bonus phrase for you, ignorance is bliss. This phrase is saying that it's good to live in denial, which I don't know if I always agree with. When you have two options that are equally as good as one another, you can tell someone you can't go wrong with either of these options, or you can just say you can't go wrong in general. That means no matter what the person picks, it will be a good choice or a good option. The first thing that comes to mind for this phrase is ice cream. I love ice cream. There's an American store called Cold Stone and it has tons of flavors of ice cream, maybe like 20 or 30 flavors. And honestly, you can't go wrong with any of the flavors and you get to mix in candy too. So no matter what you choose when you go to Cold Stone, you just can't go wrong. That means every ice cream flavor is really good. There are so many ways in the English language to say we're going to leave. One phrase that I wanted to teach in this lesson is wear off. Or if you're not contracting the first part of this phrase, you can say we are off. If you're working at an office and your coworker wants to go to lunch with you, you can say, let me just finish this email and then we're off to lunch. That means we'll leave as soon as I'm done with this task. Or if you're in a casual conversation with someone and you're going to say, we're going to leave now, you're going to say, okay, yeah, we're off now. This means we are leaving now. It's a very casual way to say this. One common stereotype about Americans is that we love guns. And this next phrase is a gun to your head. I don't know if this stereotype is true to everyone. I've heard that people that believe that stereotype or that idea and then come here from another country are always like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. You guys don't all love guns so much. So when you use this phrase, gun to your head, it means you have to make a decision like a gun is to your head, like someone is threatening you, even though you don't have time to research or you don't have time to think about your options a lot. So you could give someone a weird situation that they have to think about. Like a would you rather. You could say, would you rather freeze to death or would you rather burn to death? And the person says, I don't know. Those both sound awful. You could say, well, gun to your head. Make a decision. That means don't think about it too much. Just think about it as if I was threatening you. It's a really weird phrase, but you will hear this in English conversation. 
it's really important to be able to use this next phrase in a sentence when you're speaking English. The phrase is to the extent of something. This means you're talking about how wide something reaches, either in its size or how many people it impacts or how long something is going to go. So a really simple example is when there's a natural disaster like a hurricane, a tsunami, or a tornado, you can say, what is the extent of the damage? Or you can say, we're really lucky because everyone survived the disaster, but the extent of the damage is, you know, lots of houses have been damaged. Maybe you're describing to someone the work that they have to do for their job. You can say, well, you are in charge of getting the mail, you're in charge of replying to emails, and you are in charge of keeping clients happy. That's the extent of your job, though. That means that's everything that you have to do. Your job doesn't reach any further than those things that I just told you. So the extent is the limit of something. A really common phrase in English is if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. So this phrase means that if you support everything, your support isn't as important because you don't have the few things that you are supporting. So you have to have really strong morals and you have to have really strong ethics. Now, the phrase that I want to teach you is to stand up for someone. So if you stand up for someone, it means you defend them in a situation where they're being bullied, they're being harassed, or people are talking negative to them. One thing that's important to me in life is to stand up for people who are normally discriminated against. So people with disabilities, they might not have the accommodations that they need, or they might not be able to do everything that everyone else does because of their disability. So it's important to stand up for them, to help them out, and to tell people that they need to be included. Because it's really important to stand up for people who cannot always defend themselves or they can't always advocate for themselves in a situation. Have you ever met someone who talks a big game? The classic example that comes to my mind when I think of this phrase is the UFC fighter Conor McGregor. He used to say, you know, I will knock out this person in the first round. He would make his own predictions. He would talk a big game. Usually when someone talks a big game, it means they talk about their abilities or they talk about what they're going to do in a way that's very dramatic and they won't actually be able to accomplish many of those things. Now, the reason that he, Conor McGregor, got so famous is he talked a big game and he actually did a lot of the things that he said he was going to do. So if you talk a big game, you have to back it up. That means your actions have to match your words. This first phrase I saw on an advertisement and I thought, wow, this is a great phrase that isn't obvious what it means, but once you know it, it's super easy to use in your conversations. The phrase is to drop a hint. When someone drops a hint, they give you a little piece of information about what's going to happen or what they want or something that they're trying to have you find out but they're not just saying it and saying it obviously and bluntly. The most common example I can think of is many women who are in relationships will drop a hint that they want to get married, that they want to be proposed to. Especially in the United States, it's most traditional for the man 
to ask the woman to marry them. So women will say, wow, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a wedding or if I had a ring to wear? So these are just little hints that they want to get married, but they're not saying, I want you to propose to me. They're just dropping hints. One of my favorite sporting events to watch on television is anything from the Olympics. I remember watching the Summer Olympics and the famous Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt absolutely blew all of the other runners out of the water. Now, this example means that he beat them by so much, it was not even close. You can use this phrase to blow someone out of the water when you beat someone by a very large margin or you completely surpass them or completely defeat them. The competition is not close when you blow someone out of the water. And Doing a little bit of research, I found that this phrase comes from the idea of dropping a bomb in the water and a boat just flies out of the water because the bomb is so large. Well, we use this phrase in just daily English to mean that you beat someone by a lot. Instead of saying that there was bad weather while you were driving on a trip, we say in the United States, we hit some weather. Now, this phrase seems a little bit strange. It seems a little bit broad, but it really just means that there was some significant weather, either a snowstorm, a rainstorm, a tornado, some sort of weather event that came on the road while you were driving that delayed your trip. This phrase is especially useful in the United States or countries like the United States where the weather can change so quickly across many parts of the United States, it either snows we have tornadoes. In the south, we have hurricanes by the ocean. There are just so many different types of weather in the United States that this phrase is super useful. So maybe you're driving to a place like Texas in the United States and you can say, our trip got delayed because we hit some weather on the road. This can mean there is either some sort of storm or tornado that made it take longer in your drive. Maybe you had to stop while you're driving because the weather was dangerous. So instead of saying we had bad weather while we were driving, you can just simply say we hit some weather. I love this next English idiom. The phrase is to poke the bear. You guys will have to let me know in the comments if you have a phrase like this in your native language as well. But this idiom comes from the idea that if there was a bear sleeping, you could kind of antagonize the bear. It means just bother it by giving it little pokes. And if you do a little poke, most of the time a sleeping bear would not wake up. But if you poke the bear enough, it will wake up and be a scary bear and attack you maybe. But this phrase is just saying, you know, don't antagonize people. Don't bother them. Because if you poke the bear enough, or if you bother people enough, they'll explode or they'll do something bad to you or they will retaliate. This phrase is also used in the news if there is a country that's very powerful and people are doing things politically to bother that country that they don't like, they're negative to the bigger country, people can say they're poking the bear to start a war. This next phrase is obviously used in a very casual way very informally, but I actually say this phrase all of the time and my four-year-old son thinks it's hilarious. When I have a moment where I make a mistake just because there's too much going on in my mind 
or I just mess up on something that would be very simple normally, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I had a brain fart. So the other day I gave my son a cup that belonged to his brother and they're very particular about who gets what cup. And my son said, hey, that's not mine, that's my brother's. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I had a brain fart. This just means I forgot briefly. I had a quick moment where my brain wasn't working. It's like a brain fart. An interesting thing about this next phrase is that many Americans are actually saying the wrong word for this phrase. The phrase is brass tacks, like sharp tacks. But many Americans hear it as brass tax, T-A-X, like a fee imposed to you by the government. I had to do a little bit of research of where this phrase brass tax comes from. And it comes from the old trade of making men's suits in order to accurately measure the cloth that was going to be used for the suits. The people who would make the suits would nail down brass tacks, the sharp tacks, and that would be the most accurate measurement that they could get. So this phrase in the English language is used to say, let's start talking about the important details, the very specific details. So maybe if you're going to a business meeting, you'll start out by making small talk, you know, how's your day, how's the weather, things like that. And then when you want to start talking about money or very important things in the meeting, you can say, all right, let's get down to brass tax now. So let's get down to brass tax means let's start talking about the important details of what our conversation is about. This next phrase is a compliment. It's a compliment that I've heard in my own life, but I think it's very strange to hear for the first time when you're learning English. The phrase is you're so smiley. To describe someone as smiley might seem obvious. It just means they smile a lot. Maybe your friend has a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend and they're just smiling all the time. You could say you're so smiley. You're so smiley lately. That just means you're very happy, but it's obvious that you're happy because you're smiling a lot. A very important phrase in the English language is give or take. If you are giving someone an approximate number, that means you're kind of guessing. It's not exactly accurate. You will say it's about six, give or take, for example. So that means it could be five, it could be four, it could be seven, it could be eight. It's just kind of an estimate. You can also ask someone for an estimate by saying, how many do you think, give or take? Maybe you're throwing a party and you're not sure exactly how many guests you will have. So in your head, you can say, I think I will need to have five pizzas, give or take. That means you could order an extra pizza for your guests at the party or you could probably just stick with five or maybe even four and you would be okay. You're just giving an estimate by saying give or take, or you're asking for an estimate if you say how many give or take. Some of my English students will come to me and say, I have tried to learn English in every single way possible. I just can't memorize all of these phrases. Well, here's a phrase that you could use instead of saying all of these words. You could say, I have tried every trick in the book to learn 
English. This means that you've tried every single option available to you. So if you've tried every trick in the book to do something, usually you're trying to reach a goal or you're trying to complete a task that's usually very difficult and you've used every single strategy available. Another way that we use this phrase is, let's say we have a child that needs to take medicine. Kids don't usually like to take medicine because it tastes bad to them. So we try every trick in the book to make it taste good and to get them to take it more easily. So I could give my child ice cream if they eat their medicine, or I could say, I'll mix your medicine up with some juice. I've tried every trick in the book, and usually one of the tricks will work, but sometimes you can try every trick in the book, and you just can't figure out how to get a kid to take their medicine. This next phrase is super, super useful, so pay close attention. When you want to say that someone has the start of a really good idea or they have achieved something that's really good and they should take it further, you can say, you're on to something. So I think of the company Apple. They created iPhones and they realized that people really like having all of these apps on their phone that can do different things like a calculator, text messages. Um, you can even use your maps on your phone. They really realized they're onto something. And now, of course, today we have thousands and thousands, maybe even more apps that we can download on our phone to do different things. I mean, people even, you know, connect to cameras in their house from their phone. They were really onto something in the early days of creating the iPhone. And now our iPhones are like our entire lives. So when you use this phrase, you're onto something, you say it to someone to make sure that they know they have a good idea and they should take it even further. This next phrase is very simple, but it's used in a few different ways. If you want to say that something happens again and again, it's very predictable. Or you can say, you know, you've achieved results by working hard. You can say it once again. Once again, we worked hard and we achieved our goal. It's a really common way to start a sentence. Or you can use it in a negative way. If you are irritated with someone for sleeping late all the time, you can say, once again, you slept through your alarm and you were late. You're just using this phrase to emphasize that someone keeps doing the same thing again and again. Once again. This next phrase is also very simple but used extremely frequently in the English language, especially in casual English conversations. The phrase is the fact that. So we start our sentences with this, usually when we're irritated about something or annoyed with something. So going back to my last example, you could say, the fact that you slept in late again, it really means that you don't care about your work. So you're emphasizing a fact or something that has happened to prove your point. You can also use this phrase in a positive way as well. You could say about someone, the fact that they donated so much money to charity really shows that they're a good person. So it's just one thing proving another. You start your sentence with saying the fact that. Instead of saying that you are contributing money or investing money in something, you can say you put up money for something. So to put up money for something means you invest or you contribute. 
For example, you could say, I put up money for you to go to college and you're just wasting your time. That means you invested your money in a friend or a family member to go to college. Maybe you helped them out by giving them some money to pay for the tuition and now they're just wasting their time. A really common phrase that we use in our everyday conversations and a phrase that's super common in literature as well, that means books and different types of writing, is little did I know or little did he know or little did she know, whoever it might be. So it just indicates that something that seems insignificant or just not very important is going to be very important soon to that person. A funny story that has this phrase in it is when I was at college, I met my husband and I'm sure he just thought, you know, I was some girl that liked him, but now little did he know I was going to be his wife and I was going to have a family with him someday. So it's just kind of funny when something that seems insignificant or it might not be that important becomes very important later. If you want to say that you have a very strong and committed belief to something and you will always define yourself with that belief, you can say, I always have and I always will. For example, let's say you are a very hard worker and you think that hard work is one of the most important qualities that you can have. And someone says, wow, you're a very hard worker. You can say, I always have been and I always will be. This just indicates that you're very strongly believing in this thing. Or you can use this in a negative way to describe someone. You could say, they have always been a liar and they always will be a liar. So the phrase is always have and always will. Instead of saying that you are waiting for some sort of authority to approve what you're going to do, what you're about to do, you can say you're waiting on the go-ahead. So this phrase is very common in conversation. You could use this in, in a more formal sense or informally, but it just means that you're waiting for a go-ahead, which would mean an approval of your actions. A common scenario when you might use this phrase, let's say you are a builder and you are ready to build a house. All of the plans are ready. They're just waiting to be approved by whoever's paying for the building. So you could say, our plans are ready. We're just waiting for the go-ahead from the people who bought this building. So you're waiting for approval from an authority on the project. This next word is used very commonly in the English language. The word is naturally. So oftentimes we say things are naturally occurring. For instance, you could say there are not many naturally occurring fruit trees in the United States. That means trees with fruit don't just often grow in the United States. People have to plant them. So they're planted by a human, but they don't come naturally. That means from the earth without intervention. Now, we also use this word in conversation quite frequently to mean that something is obvious. So naturally, I would be really excited about winning a million dollars. Or you could use this in a negative way to say, naturally, you will be disappointed if you don't get the job. This means don't worry about how you feel because it's so natural. It's what we would expect. So it's obvious or expected when you throw in the word naturally. And you'll hear English speakers in the United States use this word in their sentences quite frequently. Naturally, we will say naturally all the time. 
This phrase, to trash someone, is used so frequently now, especially by younger people in the United States. It's more of a slang phrase, but it's very common now. To trash someone means to talk very negatively about someone or to insult them, especially if we say behind their backs or not to their face. So in the United States, it's not uncommon at all to trash politicians because we have such free speech here. You can't really get in trouble for speaking negatively about the people in power, where I know that's not common everywhere in the world, but here it's very common to trash politicians or to talk very negatively or to insult them even. A funny phrase that's actually used quite commonly in the English language is the phrase dry as a bone. If you want to say that something just doesn't have any water or has nothing left, you can say it's dry as a bone. For instance, right now there's not a lot of rain where I live, so my grass in my yard is turning kind of brown. It's really dry as a bone. That means there's no water present. Or you can say, can I have a sip of your drink? And someone might say, sorry, it's dry as a bone. That means there's no water or no liquid left in it. It's a really funny phrase, but it's used quite frequently. When we want to say that something is very normal and we always do it, we can say it's routine. For instance, when you go to the doctor in the United States, they ask you so many different questions about your health and they'll even ask you, have you had cancer? Do you have heart problems? And you might say, why do you need all of this information? The doctor will say, well, it's just routine that we ask these questions just in case. That means it's completely normal. We do it for everyone. It's the routine. Or if you go to an airport in the United States, of course we have very, very intense security at an airport. It's called TSA. And you have to go through, you have to take your shoes off, you have to take your belt off, you put your bag through an x-ray scanner. And you might say, why do we need to do all of this? And we just usually say, well, it's just routine. Everyone has to do it. That means it's common. It's completely normal. It is what the norm is. It's routine. In English, when someone makes a mistake and they're kind of worried about it, but you want to assure them that there's no penalty for their mistake. Nothing happened that was bad to anyone because of their mistake. It's just not a big deal. You can use the phrase, no harm, no foul. This just means no harm was done. That means no one was hurt. So there is no foul or no penalty. Usually this word foul means a penalty in soccer or basketball or whatever sport you're talking about, but we can use it in this phrase as well. Let's say that you were going to a meeting and you actually got the time wrong for a meeting. You showed up an hour early and the person you're meeting with says, oh, I'm sorry, you're early. And you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I totally messed up. And they'll say, well, I have time now. No harm, no foul. That means there's no penalty for being early. Even though you made this mistake, there's no foul because nothing bad happened. So if you want to just say to someone that their mistake is insignificant, it doesn't hurt anyone, they're not going to be penalized, use the phrase, no harm, no foul. Speaking of the word foul, this next phrase is foul play. This phrase is important to know, especially if you like watching crime shows, because oftentimes when someone dies or they get hurt, 
the police will say there was no foul play suspected. That means the person was maybe sick or they died of natural causes or there just was an accident that was not caused by someone else. But if there was foul play suspected, that means that they think that someone else did this crime. Now, you can use this in less severe situations as well. Again, if you're at work and someone made a mistake, but you don't think the mistake was done to purposely hurt you or purposely hurt your company, you can say, well, there was no foul play. That means it was just an accident. A great phrase that you can use to give a compliment, especially in English, is to say that something was well-deserved. So when someone wins an award or if someone gets a raise in their salary, you can say that was really well-deserved. That means that you think they worked so hard that they especially deserve the award or the merit or the amount of money that they've been given. Or someone might say, well, I'm just so lucky to have the job that I have right now. You can say, well, it's very well-deserved. You worked very hard in school and you got good grades. So to say that something is well-deserved means the person has earned it and the person has worked very hard. Okay, I'm so sorry to say, but oftentimes English learners, when they're starting to speak English, will say, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. They will overuse this phrase, especially if they want to show they're happy and friendly. And maybe you're more advanced, you're not using this phrase too much anymore. But a good phrase that you can throw into your vocabulary is, this brought me so much joy. Native English speakers will use this phrase when they want to say that something was very, very joyful or it made them very happy. But it's just a good alternative phrase to use to saying, I'm so happy. So right now, the new Spider-Man movie is out. For many people, this brings them so much joy to see this movie. I've heard it's very good and I want to see it soon. Or if something very simple makes you very happy, you could say, wow, this ice cream just brought me so much joy today. That means a small thing just made me very happy. It brought me joy. This next phrase is very common and it's really funny as well. Make sure to remember this one. If you want to say that someone has betrayed you or someone blamed you for something and they didn't try to cover it up at all, you can say they threw you under the bus. So this idiom is very common. An example I can think of for this idiom is one time my kids were eating a bunch of candy and I said, who let you have all this candy? This is way too much candy. They said, well, dad gave it to us. They totally threw their dad under the bus. So instead of, you know, thanking their dad for giving them candy by, you know, not telling mom, they just threw him under the bus. They blamed him right away. A very interesting phrase in English is, it led me to believe. So this phrase is used very specifically when, you know, you see something happening quite frequently So it leads you to believe or it makes you think that something is the norm or it makes you think of something is going to always happen because you see it so frequently. So when I was a kid, which I think this is very common for many children, you see movies where people, adults, you know, drive nice cars, they have lots of money, they have all this freedom. So it led me to believe that being an adult 
is very fun and it's very cool. But in reality, even though being an adult is fun sometimes, you have to work a lot when you're an adult to pay for things like nice cars, nice houses, vacations, things like that. So don't lead your kids to believe that everything comes easy. You have to teach them that you have to work a lot as an adult as well. This next phrase makes me think of one time when I was at the mall with my husband. So in the mall, there are these things called kiosks. They're not stores, but they're little stands in the middle of the mall floor where people try to sell you products. So maybe they'll say, oh, look at this. This is an amazing cleaning device. And it's not something that's usually sold commonly. So you kind of are intrigued and you look at it and... Oftentimes, these people will really, really aggressively try to sell you something. One time, my husband almost got suckered in to buying some face cream from one of the kiosks. And I kept saying, come on, we have to go. We're not going to buy this. Now, the person who was selling this wanted a lot of money for this face cream that I had never even heard of. And he tried to suck us into buying this because he was, you know, saying, oh, you're going to have all these great results. This face cream is amazing. And I just, I didn't really believe it, to be honest. And my husband was like, I don't know, this guy seems really nice. He seems really honest. And I said, come on, let's not get suckered into buying this. So you might have heard the two phrases I heard while telling this story, to get sucked into something and to get suckered into something. These phrases are both pretty much used in the same way. I would say to get suckered into something is a little bit more harsh because you're calling yourself a sucker or you're insulting your own intelligence. If you say you got sucked into doing something or suckered into doing something, it means you kind of got tricked into doing it or tricked into buying it, even though you have better judgment normally. So when salespeople are very aggressive, it's important not to get sucked into buying something that you can't afford or you don't need. A very common phrase that you can use when you're about to go do something that's either challenging or, you know, kind of scary at first, you can say, I'm about to brave. This phrase is very common when you're about to go somewhere that's very busy. You can say, I'm about to go brave the crowd. This means even though I know this place is going to be very crowded and there's going to be lots of people and lots of waiting. I'm going to be brave and I'm going to go there anyway. Or if there's a big storm outside, you can say, I'm going to brave the storm. That means even though the storm might make it difficult to drive or to go somewhere, I'm going to be brave and I'm just going to go out and face it. If you like Adam Sandler movies, you might know this phrase, because it's the title of a movie he made with Jennifer Aniston. This movie is very strange, but it was pretty popular. And the phrase is, just go with it. Now, the premise of this movie that's titled, Just Go With It, is all about him faking his family on a trip to kind of impress a woman. It's a really strange movie. But basically, Jennifer Aniston and these two kids have to pretend like they are Adam Sandler's family. And in order to get the lie to just work, the phrase they use again and again is just go with it. Just pretend everything is real, even though it's a very strange situation. So if you're about to lie and you want someone to play along with your lie, 
or kind of help you convince people of a lie, you can say, let's just go with it. Just go with whatever I say. This means just accept it and act like it's normal. You can also use this phrase when someone gives you the wrong item, but you think it's okay. You can accept it. You can say, I'll just go with it. It's fine. For instance, if you say, hey, can I get a diet Pepsi or a diet Coke? And they give you a regular Pepsi or regular Coke and they say, oh, I'm sorry, we just have the regular kind. Is that okay? And you can say, yeah, I'll just go with it. It's fine. That means I'll accept it even though it's not exactly what I wanted or what I asked for. Just go with it. This next one is kind of a phrasal verb, but it's very common in the English language. So I want to review some ways that we use pop up. When you say that something pops up, it means it comes up unexpectedly. You can be saying that something literally pops up, it comes into your view. You know, I was in a haunted house and all of a sudden somebody dressed in a costume popped up at me. That means they jumped up, you didn't see them before, but now you see them. Or you can say, my schedule was really free today, but all of the sudden a lot of meetings popped up. That means you weren't expecting to have a lot of meetings on your schedule, but now they have come onto your schedule unexpectedly. One phrase that I heard recently that I think is very useful to you as well is when someone wants to recommend something very strongly, they can say, I can't recommend it enough. Again, the new Spider-Man movie is out and someone said to me recently, you should go see it. I can't recommend it enough. They really enjoyed the movie. They thought it was really good. So I'm going to go see Into the Spider-Verse. You want to speak English fluently. So in today's lesson, we're going to listen to a conversation so you can learn 10 phrases that will help you sound like a fluent English speaker. Let's listen to our conversation between Sheila and Maggie and learn those phrases. I have to get something off of my chest, Maggie. This bag, it's fake. So in this conversation, Sheila has to get off her chest that the bag is fake. We call this counterfeit bags or counterfeit purses. And a lot of times people don't have real brand name things. They have a fake one. And you might admit this to your friend if you're feeling kind of guilty about it. You feel like you're lying. You just need to get it off of your chest. I'll keep it on the down low. Don't worry. When you want to say that you're going to help keep a secret and you're not going to tell a lot of people and you're not going to spread the information, you can say that you're going to keep something on the down low. Just keep in mind this phrase is definitely a slang phrase, but it's so common here in the United States when we're speaking English. I was so stoked when you texted me to get together today. A great way to say that you are excited about something is to say you're stoked. So I think of like a fire, when you stoke it, that means when you push the coals and the wood around, the fire usually gets bigger. So it's it's like it's excited. When you're stoked, it means you're very excited. By the way, I'm so stoked that you're watching today's English lesson. I hope that you learn these phrases and I hope that you subscribe to the channel to learn more and comment your favorite phrase from this video. Now let's go on with the lesson. Oh, I know we haven't hung out forever. It's surreal finally living in the same city after all of these years. 
So this phrase, it's surreal in English, it's a very dramatic phrase. It means that something feels like a fantasy or it feels like a dream. It feels like it's not real. It's surreal. But we use this in English to say that just things are really good, like we can't believe that they're happening. You'll hear this phrase quite commonly. So in this conversation, Maggie is so excited about living near Sheila. She says it feels like a dream. It's surreal. I'm sorry, I'm so clumsy. You have to know what clumsy means in English. Someone who is clumsy, like myself, they have lots of accidents. They trip, they fall, they knock drinks over. I am famous for spilling my coffee, and I mean spilling my whole coffee on the floor. I don't know how it happens, but I'm just very clumsy. Are you clumsy too? Let me know in the comments because we have that in common if you are. So if you want to describe someone who has a lot of accidents, and sometimes this isn't necessarily rude, be like, oh, you're so clumsy. But it could be rude. It could be like, why aren't you more careful? You're so clumsy. So be careful with this adjective, but it's really useful in English. Just say that you're accident prone or you make a lot of kind of mistakes. So I had to tell my friend that her boyfriend was cheating on her and she got so mad at me, but the truth hurts. If you say that the truth hurts, it means that it's important to know the truth, but the truth is bad, so it hurts. So in this conversation, we're talking about someone having their boyfriend cheat on them. <gasps> That'd be so terrible. But you need to know this if you are the girlfriend in this situation, even though the truth hurts. It's very honest and it's very bad. So when we have this situation in English, we say the truth hurts. Well, I'll tell you what, Maggie. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So this phrase is very common in spoken English, but some people consider damn to be a swear word or to be kind of inappropriate language. So just be careful who you're using this phrase around. If you say that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, it means that no matter if you do an action, you will be criticized for it and you will make someone unhappy. So in this conversation, Maggie feels so bad about telling her other friend that her boyfriend has cheated on her. But if she doesn't tell her friend that, that would not be very honest and it would be almost more hurtful to her friend. So either way, she's hurting her friend's feelings. She's damned if she does tell her friend and she's damned if she doesn't tell her friend. So normally in English, we say this phrase, we say you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. La la la, la 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 la. Sorry, I just can't get this song out of my head. If you want to say that you have something playing again and again in your head and you can't stop thinking it, especially if you're thinking about a song, you can say, you can't get it out of your head. Another phrase that means this exact same thing is to say it's stuck in your head. So sometimes if something very embarrassing happens to me, I just can't get it out of my head. I can't stop thinking about how embarrassing it was. But more commonly we say, I can't get this song out of my head like in this conversation. My son, he plays those video games and I hear him raging all of the time and I hear him even just rage quit at the end of the game. So when we want to say that someone is very, very angry, 
we can say they have rage. Rage means extreme anger. In English, this word rage has also turned into a verb. She raged at him. It means she got really mad and yelled and said insulting things to the person. So oftentimes in video games, especially when men play video games, they get enraged and they rage at the video game. They say, ah, like, why am I losing? Things like that. And I've even heard people say that they rage quit a video game, which means they get so mad that they just quit the video game. They just turn the machine off. So I had to teach you guys this word because it's very useful in English and it's very common. I am just so drained after this game of Scrabble. I've got to hit the road. A good way to say that you're tired in English is to say that you are drained. Your energy, you have none left, so it's drained. Just like you would drain a pot of water. If you take the water out, it's empty. You say, it's drained, I'm draining it. If you say, my energy is drained or I just feel drained, it means you're tired and you have no energy left.